So I hope everybody's doing good today, and uh, I'm happy that you are here with us. Um, I've been really enjoying what we've been talking about, uh, this biblical justice thing, going through the summer um, of love, where, and to be honest, this series has been rather difficult, not difficult in, uh, you guys have been great, um, Sometimes whenever a pastor preaches, you can know that uh, on Monday morning, there's going to be some uh, emails that you get, you know, critiquing, letting you know how good you did or not did, or not did. I'll get an email about that. Um, so, which is, which is okay, you know, uh, but this one, I really haven't gotten any uh, email feedback, so I guess that's a good thing, but it's, it's been difficult because of, I think, for us, sometimes the, um, the nature of the topics are sensitive, and sometimes, like myself, and you have to understand, as I work through them, I get convicted about certain things, too, so uh, the one that really, really got me was last week, we were talking about the poor, and um, I began to think, what am I doing to actually help with the poor? And, uh, and orphans also, um, you know, I was thinking, man, what have I, just, I came out of that feeling like I just needed to go adopt some kids, you know, like, um, Sarisa was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, but who, who knows, God has called us to do things, right? And so uh, as we work through this, thank you for being gracious, understanding that everything that I'm saying is is uh, it, we're coming out of the scriptures with this. Um, we're talking about this idea that love is a verb. It is an action. It is something that we do. And we get that from Jesus because he taught us that love cannot stay with us. Uh, he said in uh, John 13, 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's, um, it's this idea that God loves us, and so he gives us the ability then to love others. We're a conduit of God's love to the world, and we've been talking about, um, I've mentioned it a few times, and probably at some point, it might be a book that, you know, every once in a while, we'll, we'll talk through a book on Sunday mornings. It's called Unoffendable. We're talking about that this morning in our um, small group, our Sunday school class, and I'm just thinking that um, we have this, this way of, of being offendable or being uh, angry about things, but God has called us to love, and and if we're gonna if we're gonna love others, then that comes out. I mean, we really need to to show people love. So how can we love others by letting our love become action? So Isaiah one seventeen has become kind of our go to for this uh, series. Learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Man, it's a it's it's a deep scripture there um but the the one thing i said last week th and this week we're going to talk about this rescue the oppressed and the the word oppressed is hamos um actually pronounced hamos h-a-m-o-s it's a hebrew word and it means one who has suffered violence or been wronged because i really began to to dig into that what does that look like somebody who's been wronged who's been who's suffered violence who, who's been uh, oppressed and it is our job, our duty as followers of Christ, as people who live in the kingdom, right? We belong to the kingdom of God. We haven't arrived in his ultimate presence yet, but Jesus taught us. Remember when he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, make what goes on up there happen down here. 
your kingdom come, right? So that's, that's his kingdom with us as we go. By the way, I'm, I feel like I'm jumping right into it. If you want to follow along the notes today, you can go to the Bible app or uh, the church's app and uh, find the, the, the sermon notes on there. So we're talking about justice. So far, we've talked about uh, helping the marginalized, helping uh, those who are being trafficked. We've also talked about true religion. Remember, devotion to God is taking care of the widows and orphans. Last week, we talked about Matthew chapter 25, where uh, Jesus tells us that we have either done or not done something to Him when we've done it for others. So um, if, if the poor need taken care of and we don't do it, then Jesus said in that particular scripture, depart from me because I never knew you. Well, when, when, I, you know, when the poor need to be taken care of, you didn't take care of it. When do we not um, take care of you, God? When, when you saw it happening and you didn't do it, then you didn't do it for me. And so it, it's, it's a very, uh, that, was, that was a tough one. So we can't rely on the government or the church to do what God has called us to do. It's our responsibility as Christians, as followers of Christ. And I've said before, the church, our goal, the church, the organization of the church, is to create an atmosphere, uh, an environment, um, give opportunities for us to all be involved in these different ministries. And as I've been going through this, I've been working on some of these things and ways that we can, can do that. So it seems to me as we talk through this that we're really getting to the heart of God. I mean, really to the heart of God. And um, when we combine God's call to love, and that's, that's an oversimplification. I think we've learned how deep His love is and how deep our love is expected to be. I don't want to oversimplify it, but when we really uh, combine God's call to love and the call to take care of the marginalized— which is what we've talked about so far, the people who are being trafficked, the people who are, being, uh, who are orphaned and who are widowed and the poor, the ones who, who can't really do for themselves. If we take those two things, God's call to love and His call to take care of those, then we really begin to understand His heart. And I don't know about you, but I'm interested in God's personality. What is God like? Because when I grew up, I grew up imagining a an old man in a white beard with a white robe with no personality right it was, he was just this guy who sat on a throne who was waiting to strike me with lightning if I made a mistake that's kind of who I thought God was but as I've dug into this and, and I'm beginning I am starting to see God's personality come through in the scriptures and in the story and what does he look like what does this look like loving others taking care of the marginalized it's beginning to sound a whole lot like the kingdom of god that we've talked about before let what goes on up there happen down here so today as we turn towards uh talking about race and ethnicity and and gender and justice for these groups i want to make sure that we understand in talking about the gospel the good news this isn't a departure uh, or turning away from the gospel as an american it's been bred into me into us that 
we have the right to privacy, right? I mean, we get that. We were talking about that again this morning, Cerise and I, and um, like when she'll ask her dad who he voted for, and he'll say, it's none of your business who I voted for. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, right? Well, why not, dad? It, that's, it, it drives her crazy mostly because he won't tell her. She probably doesn't care. <laughs> she just wants to know. Um, but it's this, it's this right to privacy, this, this idea that we, are, we grow up with um, not having to, to tell people things, not having to, to share things. We have this right to privacy. And so we need to ask ourselves, how has that influenced or informed our Christianity? How has, how has that, and, and you'll hear people talk about the uh, American Christian. Probably it's true for a lot of countries, but how we are brought up, what our country thinks, how our country believes, influences our walk with Christ. So this right to privacy has influenced us to think that the gospel of salvation is a very personal thing. It is, don't get me wrong, it is very personal. But we treat it very privately. So don't begin to start messing with the gospel and, and its privacy. But it's also a very social thing. And what I mean is, and you're going to say this several times today, when we receive Christ, it takes care of this with God, right? We receive Him, uh, our sins are forgiven, we can stand redeemed in front of Him, saved by grace, His love flows through us, it's this awesome channel between us and God, and we love it and we relish in that. But He doesn't just save us for ourselves. He saves us for others also. Because what, is, what does Jesus say? As I have loved you, so you must love others. It comes to us, but it can't stay with us. So it is personal and private, but it's also social. It's both and. So um, I believe when we think of the gospel that way, it's a very limited view of the gospel. In fact, I was very surprised. I grew up thinking, even singing the song, um, uh, I don't even remember who's saying it now. A big, big house with lots and lots of room where we can play football. Y'all remember that song? Like, and so I was going to have a gigantic mansion on my 10 acres of land, you know, maybe with a few cows that I could, um, if we eat meat up there, that would be awesome. Um, you know, like that, that's, that's my place. A boat that I could take to my own personal lake. And like I was going to have this awesome heaven. That's kind of how I thought. Because in the scripture it says... Um, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and the King James interprets it mansion, right? We have a, a mansion. But I, I was very surprised to discover that the word actually used, and I don't remember it now, this isn't even in my notes, but the word used is not mansion in, in their day, in their time, in the ancient uh, Hebrew time. When Jesus was alive and teaching all this, um, to use an example in my life, Cerise and I have a home when our kids, Morgan, who is uh, our oldest she's 13 uh, someday when she's like 40 and she gets married she will <laughs> yeah so she would build a portion onto our house and that would be her place that's still connected to ours and then when morgan has kids and they get older then they're going to build a portion on to her place and so on and so forth for generation after generation. That's, that was their practicing way of living. Multi-generational households. 
Jesus says, I, this is awesome, I go to prepare a place for you. What he's talking about is, he's going to go build a portion onto his father's house for us so that when we go, we're there. So you understand, American, uh, the, the American idea that I had was very personal, very private, my own uh, acreage of land with my own mansion and my own, but that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said that. He was thinking, I'm going to go, I'm going to make you a little house next to, you know, we're going to be all connected. It's going to be awesome. Big family of God. Very social. So we have to be careful how it, it influences us. We become, God loves us, and then I love you, and then you love me, and we love each other, and we've really developed this very social holiness thing. Social Christianity. The problem is that we have allowed politics to hijack this conversation. I think we can all agree that the fullness of the kingdom of God, and hear me say this because I want to make sure, and I, I'm not trying to protest too much, but everything, and you guys have probably have no idea of my political views, but that's that just doesn't matter. Everything that I'm saying is straight out of the scripture. There is no politics involved whatsoever. The problem is, is again, we view it through the political lens that, that we either grew up with or have learned to see and think. So we've allowed politics to hijack the conversation. The kingdom of God, the full kingdom of God, does not fit neatly into either a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian worldview. It's not going to fit neatly into any one of those spaces because the kingdom of God is bigger than that. I'm just talking here. I want to make sure I'm on the right place. All right, so um, there's a fear, I think, that when we begin to talk about these things, the reason I was talking about the private idea of, of um, salvation is that we're turning away from the gospel, and, and you've heard this, so I don't want to be accused of this, turning away from the gospel, which we have considered very private, to a social gospel. Remember, the word gospel only means good news. I'm not saying in any of this that we are saved by the things we do. I'm just saying the things we do speak to if we're saved or not. So, as we read the Bible, we see that the Bible is very social. So just to recap, let's remember what justice is. Understand, as I talk today, again, there's no political undertones. Whatever you take away today, hear me say that I want to pursue the heart of God. So what is God's heart in terms of taking care of people? If you've heard over the last couple of weeks, you know that God's heart is loving people it's one of love with a desire to see rectifying mishpat justice and primary siraka justice. So God's heart is one of love with a desire to see rectifying and primary justice. That is justice done to others. Setting wrong, setting wrongs right to other people, okay? All right, so where do we start? We're going to read some scripture today out of Ephesians chapter 2. Really, have got to work on these introductions. We're going to have to stream through this, okay? Because there's some really, really good teaching here. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're going to go verse 11 through 18. Therefore, 
Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law of its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. Man, this is a deep scripture, but I need to set it up for you. Okay, so, so this is in Ephesians, where he's talking to the church at Ephesus, but who is the church at Ephesus? Why, why this church? Why am I even choosing to talk about this today? We probably know more about the church in Ephesus than we do any other church in the ancient uh, first century time period. We see, if you read in Acts 19, you see the birth of the church. And then we have the book of Ephesians that's written to encourage the church. They believe some 30 to 40 years after it's born. And then you have First and Second Timothy uh, written as a... Um, Encouragement to the leadership in Ephesus. And then you've got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John also written to the church in Ephesus. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 1, you see what appears to be the beginning of the birth, uh, of the death of the church in Ephesus. So we can track it literally from its birth to its death and see what's going on there. And, and so the, the church in Ephesus is, is an interesting study. Like, more than just Ephesians, sometimes just read about the church in Ephesus. It's an amazing church. Since we know so much about this church, it makes sense that we can take a look at something like this, particularly this scripture, and study it. I do want to pause here, and uh, today I want to attempt to take back the phrase racial reconciliation maybe we should call it uh, ethnic harmony kind of like that better <laughs> I, I want to take that back because remember we don't want and, and when we say racial reconciliation it, it stirs up political ideas on either side that's not the point today I also want to take a look at what God has given us through the person of Jesus Christ and that's where we're going to wind up. All right, so in Acts chapter 19, we see uh, Ephesus, and it's this booming uh, metropolis. It has three major harbors. It has a, uh, a, a massive river flowing right next to it. In, in regards to cultural and socioeconomic standing, you should think of like New York City or London. Ephesus was a major hub. It was, a, it was, it was a, a, a place of great influence and power in the ancient world. There's also a massive pagan community in Ephesus. And they worshipped at the Temple of Artemis. And the Temple of Artemis was like one of the ancient 
seven wonders of the world. It was a, a magnificent place, and that's where this pagan culture worshipped. Okay, and then also in Ephesus, there was this a small but very robust Orthodox Jewish community. And in Acts chapter 19, Paul talks about uh, going, I mean, Paul is spoken about going to Ephesus, and he spends two years speaking with the church and the people in, in Ephesus, kind of helping to build that church, helping to establish that church so that the whole area, by the time he left, had heard of the gospel of Jesus. Then it's cool, there's, a, there's this moment that the Holy Spirit falls in the place. And you should read about it. And after this supernatural event, um, things really began to change for them. Then the pagans and the hardline law-following intellectual Jews became Christians. Okay, so you have these two groups. Pagans who, uh, the pagan community at that time is, is a, a place, uh, like they're very... Um, Debauchery is the, the word I'm thinking of, but like uh, at the temple of Artemis, they had uh, prostitutes that hung out there, and so that was kind of a common practice, um, the, the sex trafficking. And then there was also, for them, witchcraft was a big deal, so they were heavily involved in witchcraft. And then you had these, the Jews who were very law-abiding. They, followed, they were um, robust and followed every single law of the Old Testament. After the Holy Spirit fell in this place, they all became Christians. So now you have this, this third group compiled of these former hardline Jewish people and these pagans. Now you have hardline Jewish Christians and pagan Christians. People could, they couldn't have been more diverse. They were ethnically different, socioeconomically different in regards to their background and their value systems. They were completely opposite. Nothing in common whatsoever. But now they are together, the new body of Christ in Ephesus. I think it's safe to say that the church in Ephesus was messy. It was different. It was dingy. And if you also read in Acts 19, you see that they were confessing and divulging their practices, their sin to each other. So this isn't the, the nice and neat and orderly church like what we know today. This was them coming together and they were confessing and divulging the things that, that they had been doing. Like, the pagans might have come in and said, yeah, I, I, I was burning my witchcraft books yesterday, you know? Um, it's just, it's just a crazy way to live. So the church in Ephesus didn't start out with only the hardline, scripture-memorizing Jews, but pagans who had been casting spells and visiting temple prostitutes. Now they're one. What in the world do you do with that? And so not just different religious backgrounds, but different ethnic backgrounds. You had the ethnic Jews in Ephesus and they were not the same of the many varieties of ethnicities that existed in Ephesian. I mean, in, in, this, in the same city. So think about, uh, we're just talking about New York City. So all of these ethnicities. And it's crazy that God took two different religions, two different backgrounds, two different socioeconomic statuses, different ethnic backgrounds, and He created what we find in Ephesians chapter 2 that we just read today. 
I can't imagine that this would have been an easy coming together for him. It's hard to imagine putting these backgrounds and these ethnicities and these cultures together. Can you imagine that home group conversation where you've got your hardline religious zealots and your pagans and the pagans come in and are like, yeah, I need you guys to pray for me because I, I went back to the temple and saw the prostitutes yesterday and I'm, God's really working on me with this. I, I got mad at my neighbor. I cast a spell on him yesterday and I, whew, just help me. And then the other one's like, uh, yeah, I ate some bacon yesterday. Man, God, God's working on me. With the, can, you, can you see? Am I painting a good picture? Like the, they were just just as different as they could be. Because remember, they were confessing and divulging. They were telling each other all of their innermost sinful secrets. And, help, and, and that's okay. That's what the home group is for. That's what the small group, that's what, like, like, let's help each other. Let's pray for each other. Let's confess to each other. You can imagine that there's going to be some tension here. The pastor was probably getting numerous phone calls pastor you'll never imagine what what that pagan did yesterday <laughs> okay so hopefully you're getting this idea of what I'm talking about to, um, a, an understanding of what's going on in the church it was messy so that brings us to today's scripture okay today's scripture I'm going to read that to you again verse 11 in him we were also uh, oh wait verse 11 yeah in him we were also chosen having been predestined Chapter 2, not chapter 1. Therefore, remember that you who are formerly Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Paul's painting this horrible picture. Remember to all the Gentiles, you used to be worthless, nothing. You had no hope. You were excluded. There was a division. To really understand what Paul's talking about, go back to Genesis 12. And I will make a, he, this is God talking to Abram at the time. And, and I will make a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God's establishing the nation of Israel, the, the, the Jewish community. This is, God made a division. We have the Jews and we have everybody else. We have the Jewish faith, the God believers, Yahweh followers, and we have everybody else. The division that Paul is talking about here is more significant than any division that we know today. Understand that, that really race is arbitrary. I'm not sure how we've gotten to where we are in regards to, to looking at different races because I, it's like we're all the same race, right? We all trace ourselves back to Adam and Eve. We all have the same original parents. So the racial distinctions that we've made based on certain features, not genetic differences, not really. I mean, we have genetic subtleties. 
we have distinctions that we've based on features, but no real difference. Understand that the difference between Jew and Gentile, that division was established by God. So it was a more significant difference and division than any racial division we might have. Here's the importance, and here's why I'm bringing that up. If God can reconcile the Jew to the pagan, then God can certainly reconcile any awkward distinction that we have maybe have made in our society. If God can reconcile, if God can create this stark division and then reconcile those two together, then there is no reconciliation that can happen. In fact, I would say racial reconciliation has already happened and if we as Christians aren't living in that, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Gentiles had no hope. It's not just that they were an outside ethnic group. It's not just that Gentiles were separated or that they were oppressed or that they didn't have access to wealth. It's that they were alienated from God and from Christ. Imagine, Jesus came, good news. The Jews that were believing are all excited, everything's awesome. And the Gentiles are over there going, what about us? all this excitement and Jesus is coming it's exciting and I can see and the Holy Spirit's coming and, and you guys are acting crazy and what about us and then God broke that division he reconciled us together and we're thankful for that because without that we all in here I think and probably almost everybody watching would not be able to have the relationship with God that we do I don't want to make light of any other situation, but I just want to show that nothing compares to the divide that God had created that he now had reconciled. And this is where it gets good for me. All right, so uh, verse 11 and 12. Remember that, that you were formerly Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who were circumcised. Uh, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope <laughs> and then verse 13 but God isn't that awesome but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ I heard somebody say I was listening to a preacher and he said it's at a place like this that we need a praise break you know a praise break any former Pentecostals in here? Like, we need to get excited about it. But God, you were doomed. You had no hope. You were without uh, reconciliation to Christ. And if not for that, but God, right? But God stepped in. But God, when the news is so bad, sometimes it kind of doesn't matter what follows it, right? Right? But this is the best news. It's like we, we go from the absolute worst news and everything's horrible and, and everything's bad and nobody likes me and I'm just going to go eat dirt. It's the worst day ever. The worst news. But God, but now in Christ Jesus, 
you who were once far off have been brought near, but now by the blood of Christ you have been brought towards God, but now you have been reconciled to Jesus, to God by the blood of Jesus. Christ died to reconcile us to himself and us to one another. His blood is sufficient to reconcile us. This is why I'm saying racial reconciliation has already happened by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has reconciled us to him and us to each other. We were doomed and failures, but God. His blood is sufficient. It's enough. Don't try something else. Don't add something else to it. Looking for uh, reconciliation and other means is futile. It's even blasphemous because then we're saying the blood of Jesus and something. It's not. It's just the blood of Jesus. So we have been reconciled. We need to learn to live there. If we as Christians harbor ill will towards any other race or ethnicity or gender, then we have not received our inheritance. The inheritance of reconciliation, this is it. We're going we're gonna to go through this and close. So to recap, remember this was a, a messy, a grimy church. They started as different religions, different ethnicities, different socioeconomics, but God, who is able to reconcile the spiritual divide created, can reconcile the different religions, the different ethnicities, the different genders, the different socioeconomics. We've been in chapter 2. I want to back to chapter 1 just a minute, because Paul says in verse 15, this is why I was on chapter 1, Paul says in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, <laughs> makes you stop and think. I have heard about. Now, understand that Paul's writing this book nearly 40 years, they think, after Acts 19. So nearly a generation has passed before Paul wrote this book. So what he's saying is this ragtag group of believers still have faith in Christ, still love each other. Can you imagine being a church of this background with all of the issues that you know started? And almost 40 years later, generation later, your kids are now 30 or 40 years old. And Paul's writing and saying, I have heard that you still have faith. Praise God. I have heard that after all of this, the pagan witchcraft and burning uh, chickens and whatever, and, and the rule-following religious Jews, you still love each other. That's what he's saying, verse 15. And he goes on uh, in verse 16, he says, let me get to it there. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So God, uh, I mean, Paul's offering a prayer for them. He, he's praying for growth in their knowledge of Jesus, uh, growth in, in their hope of Jesus, to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit given by God. Verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart 
may be enlightened and in order that you know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's an interesting word. It's an interesting place, a hope in the saints. Know the hope, the riches of inheritance. So what is the hope of our calling and what is the riches of our inheritance? To look at that again, back to Genesis chapter 12 real quick. Genesis chapter 3 even, the, the sin comes in and wrecks everything, right? Fractures everything. God tells Abram then in, in chapter 12, in all the peoples of the earth, in you, all the peoples of the earth, all the nations, in another translation, shall be blessed. So this word translated as peoples or as nations, mishpachat, <laughs> say that again, is also translated um, nations and families in other places. So every time we see this word, it's understood that it's not talking about nation states. It's not talking about like the United States. It's talking about a group of people. It's talking about um, clans, if you will. It's talking about ethnicities. Because we all, as people, they had gathered as, as groups of, of similar people. So every time we see something about the nations coming to God, the nations worshiping God, is about redeeming and it's about the reconciling work of Christ drawing all peoples, all nations, all groups together as one new nation. And what does that sound like? It sounds like the kingdom of God. You see, the, the gospel vertically reconciles me to God, horizontally reconciles me to you. Because let's be honest, I'm not always likable, you're not always likable. But somehow God does this. So, so this got me. Um, reconciling the brokenness of the world, it's the kingdom of God, and that's where we live. So we're looking for the hope of our inheritance. The line about inheritance, here's the part of our inheritance in Christ. Part of our inheritance in Christ, then, if, if God is telling us that every... Through Abraham, every nation, every people group, every ethnicity is going to come together. Paul is looking back at that and saying, our inheritance is the promise, the hope we have, and the promise of reconciliation. So, Revelation 7, 7 says it like this, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language called the church. We've all been reconciled. The hope that we have is that we will be reconciled in God so that reconciliation is um, us with God and us with our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the, the background, no matter the socioeconomic status, no matter. Because we were all lost to God but God made a way it is our inheritance to be brothers and sisters it is our inheritance to love one another as Christ loved us it is our inheritance to be devoted to one another it is our inheritance to be reconciled to one another so this is this is what I was saying earlier I'm not naive to think, especially seeing what's going on in the world today, 
that there is racial tension, that there is gender inequality. I see all of it. But if Jesus Christ, who came and showed us how to love and taught us what reconciliation looks like, and without him there is no hope but God has reconciled us together so what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus there is no room for hate or discrimination against any race against any gender against any ethnicity it just can't exist we have to learn to love everybody. And you know what? Paul calls it our inheritance. If we deny our inheritance, listen, if this is what God came to do, but followers or believers of Christ live that way, then one of two things is going to happen. They're going to get to heaven and be very surprised or they're not going to get there to be surprised because there is no room we have to love each other if God can erase the divide between us and Him then whatever divide exists in our hearts between us and others can be erased as well so you can see this has nothing to do with politics it has everything to do with living in the kingdom. God let what goes on up there happen down here. Because in the kingdom, you just don't know who your neighbor is. And I hope that my neighbor doesn't look like me. I, I love the diversity. And I love the diversity of our church. And I pray for more. So, are we today going to embrace our inheritance? or not it's part of our inheritance will we embrace it let's pray God I'm hoping today that you will teach us to love one another God help us to get rid of the divides that we have in our hearts help us to get rid of the divisions that there are in churches God I, I know that um, church on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated places, Father. And, and I know that sometimes we'll say, well, speaking of our own ethnicity, my people, but my people are your people. God, we need you. Because honestly, without you as sinful, fallen people, then the division stays. God, remove the division from my heart. Any bias that I have towards other genders or other ethnicities or other races, God, I ask that you would remove them in the name of Jesus. I love your kingdom, and I think it's beautiful how you have made us all different. 
will help us to embrace others in the name of Jesus. And God, let us be a church maybe that, that leads the way in that. What does that look like for us? In terms of seeking justice, how do we seek justice for the oppressed? To welcome people of all races and genders and ethnicities into our your kingdom, excuse me, our church. Oh God, help us. We don't want to be broken. We want to be whole. In your name, I pray these things.